Welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. This is Monday 17th of January. We're at uh, Visegrad Insight office. Uh, three of us sitting here. My name is Wojciech Przybylski. I'm editor-in-chief and we have uh, Kamil Jarończyk, managing editor and um, newly appointed editorial director Miles Maftian, uh, who has uh, joined us uh, from uh, with his previous ex- extensive ex- experience in Central Eastern Europe uh, in the field of combating disinformation and helping out civil society groups across across the region uh, to um, uh, to acquire a better technology and skills at, at, at doing that. So welcome on board also, Miles. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. And we'll uh, come back to, to one of the topics in, in the discussion. But uh, as we have just released Weekly Outlook, Camille, why don't you tell us uh, the main storyline of this week's Weekly Outlook and what else are we going to have published in um, in Visegrad Insight this week. Yes, so um, I'm sure our listeners are well aware, but uh, currently uh, Ukraine is qu- uh, quite a bit in the news at the moment. Uh, the cyber attacks of uh, Ukrainian uh, government uh, built, uh, well, a lot of governmental uh, organizations, as well as um, um, uh, other parts um, of Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainian state. Uh, where the attacks came from, it's uh, believed to be Russia, but also Belarus as well. Um, of course, in Ukraine as well, not as much as in the headlines is the return of Petro Poroshenko back to Kiev, uh, which is happening actually today at the moment while we speak. Um, uh, then, of course, uh, in the Baltics, um, we have Lithuania, uh, Lithuania, which is in, currently in a fight against uh, China, at least uh, as uh, it's pretty perceived. I, I think less is going on in Lithuania than in EU overall, uh, when EU leaders and the EU Commission uh, are scrambling to to stand in solidarity with Lithuania with some meaningful response. Uh, next to strong words, uh, the EU yet has to come up with some response to China sanctions mm-hmm. on Lithuanian products, which hamper or uh, threaten unity of the European single market. That is at stake um, when we focus on, on Lithuania. That is, uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's unprecedented, but it's, it's definitely very much endangering uh, what the EU single market is, mm. which is at the core of EU integration so far. Exactly, solidarity, European solidarity is at the heart of the EU, so um, uh, so definitely that is uh, something to look out for. And of course, uh, always in the back burner is the Hungarian elections, something that we are going to cover quite uh, quite extensively. Um, uh, the, opposi- uh, the opposition has actually asked the OSCE to send a full mission to Hungary um, do, uh, to uh, avoid uh, what uh, could possibly be... Um, Election fraud. Yeah. <laughs> well, already previous elections have been uh, reported uh, by OSC as free but unfair. Uh, mm. So there are good grounds for OSC mission. But at the same time, the very situation with Russia shows that uh, OSC is having serious problems. Uh, it is uh, the Organization of Security Cooperation in Europe which foundations are now going to be seriously undermined, are being seriously undermined by Russia's activity and threats um, regarding Ukraine. We also have Polish presidency in OSC right mm-hmm. now. 
and Poland has all the right lines about what to do in terms of security around Ukraine and in Europe. But it's going to be a difficult um, a difficult thing to swallow for the Polish presidency also to uh, set you know a full mission to to Hungary mm-hmm. at the same time yeah the stars have really aligned uh, there for an interesting interesting stories and uh, when uh, ending our sort of uh, uh, Visegrad look uh, Slovakia is constantly uh, having issues with the defensive uh, cooperation agreement with the US the only country in Eastern Europe that still hasn't signed one and uh, it's actually become um, it's actually become a, the opposite versus the government uh, with uh, one party in the government in the co- governmental coalition Smerodina uh, we are family actually uh, criticizing the agreement meaning that it could possibly not go through uh, the president uh, Zuzana Chaputova has actually invited um, uh, the two sides from the coalition to speak uh, to a working breakfast which will actually happen today on Monday we will look at it closely and yes indeed in Slovakia Smerodina and several other fringe parties Uh, not in the government, but mm. still there in the picture, they oftentimes uh, act as if they were acting primarily in the interests of uh, the biggest security threat to the region and and Europe, which is which is Russia. Um, indeed. Okay. So plenty more in the weekly outlook. Yeah. All of the region is really reviewed of the important stories of the week. Not all of them are um, explained uh, in detail at Visegrad Insight, but there are several stories we are bringing forward this week. So, Camille, let us know what to expect, what to read this week on Visegrad Insight. Yes, so uh, tomorrow um, uh, we're looking at uh, uh, Matej Spisak's uh, actual look into uh, the Slovak-US defense agreement, but also uh, deeper into it, how uh, certain aspects of Slovak, uh, uh, the Slovak government or opposition actually work with uh, foreign powers and uh, how they uh, take advantage of it. It's uh, going to be quite an, it is quite an interesting text. Then we will have uh, Merli Ariakas and Jagup Lepland uh, from Estonia, who will actually present uh, Estonia's success story in the United Nations Security Council. Estonia actually brought in cybersecurity as a big topic, as well as uh, the regional look at uh, how Estonia um, basically conducted regional affairs in the Security Council in the UN. Um, an organization sometimes forgotten about in Central Europe with um, so many uh, organizations here. And then we will have um, Alina Bargunova uh, with uh, possibilities of row exit, uh, something that uh, maybe, Miles, you can uh, speak more about. Sure, happy to. So, could Romania actually be the next to leave the EU? Well, uh, let's not let's not go that far with it at this point. But what we're actually seeing is a, a new emergence, one that's certainly picking up steam, um, with a number of different public figures, uh, be it politicians, um, ex media uh, moguls, lawyers, actors, and pandemic influencers. So what we kind of ask in this piece, the main question is whether this is actually born out of real grievances. Is this a response um, that is just an unusual outburst of pandemic-induced public anger at the actual uh, frustrations that the government has uh, caused by actually handling the pandemic? Right. And these frustrations can be real. Um, They can be amplified or downright manufactured uh, by disinformation, disinformation. 
But of course, uh, what we see is, is that Romania doesn't seem to be unscathed from this actual global trend of downplaying the primacy of, of liberalism um, and the global liberal order, right? Um, so the question is, is whether this will go far enough to actually call uh, into question uh, the renegotiation of these transnational arrangements that we've seen um, and whether this is big enough to actually leave its mark on Romania. Um, interestingly, you can kind of see that uh, the majority of these um, these messages are actually happening um, in areas where disinformation is most prevalent. So different online platforms, um, sites, blogs, um, and, and some are essentially creeping into the mainstream uh, channels. Uh, yet there's this discussion amongst journalists and, and others of how much are we to cover this? Mm -hmm. um, and and how much damage could it actually be to take these fringe topics into the actual mainstream? Alina Bargano is one of our Visegrad Insight Marching Krul fellows as of uh, last year. Uh, she heads a political communication um, unit at the Bucharest University, and she definitely knows what she's speaking about. She she as I read this piece, it, it essentially. Uh, struck me as an attempt of something we advocated early, uh, early on for for two years already. Is she's bringing some foresight in how these disinformation patterns can develop. So there is enough body of knowledge already to make some predictions on the trends of disinformation to see how certain spins of may go on. And what she does, and I think it's extremely valuable. She uh, uh, she expects potential developments in the disinformation in order to help creative counter-narratives and yeah, scramble uh, the, the, the activists, the journalists, the media, but also politicians yeah, to action. Romania is heavily hit by the conspiracy around vaccination. It also uh, translates into one of the lowest, if not the lowest in Europe, vaccination rate at they are hardly reaching 43% right now as we speak of, of, of people getting vaccinated. And um, what is also striking, and you can find it in various reports on Romania, is how many people believe in conspiracy and conspiracy coming from the West on, on vaccination, on COVID, how deep is the mistrust in institutions of democracy in, in, in the broader, in broader spectrum. So I think it, this, is, this is both a very interesting case study and a call to action also to act on Romania, uh, a key Central European ally uh, also, when it comes to the problems uh, related to, for instance, to, to Russia. A completely seemingly separate set of challenges, but in fact they, they come together uh, on both on, from the anti-vax and, and Russian. And of course, row exit can present a sort of easy answer. Uh, an easy answer, yet uh, even if this were to be the case, we have, we have to apply some sort of long-term solutions, um, ones that actually tackle inequalities, actually go towards the actual sources of resentment, um, and in a way that acknowledges the, the progress that has been done in Romania without and, and understanding how much it's actually achieved um, without having the simplistic notion that everything may be better if they were to exit the EU.
Well, one of the best reads this week. We definitely do recommend uh, reading it. Subscribe also in January, only for 29 euro for a yearly subscription. Uh, that's a special deal of the of the month, beginning of the year. Um, and there is one other uh, upcoming text by Anna Kuczynska that uh, we, we I cordially recommend reading. It's it's going to be a great weekend read, uh, seemingly not. Uh, disinformation oriented or global challenge because it's going to uh, put on a scale religion and cosmology or astro astronomy uh, a, a seemingly you know very abstract uh, from the point of view of topics that we usually deal with um, uh, the, the, the issues but at the same time Anna shows how interestingly across the world but also in Central Europe astrology belief in uh, retrogradation uh, as a cause of, of, of developments and trends is on the rise and strangely enough it is with a rise of specific apps that you can get on your smartphone that you can track your fortunes with and and seemingly as as Yzhi Schneider argued in our earlier piece on religion, this uh, withdrawal of religion, withdrawal from religion also of some uh, political activists or people dealing with public life may mean the rise of various others forms of, um, well, should I say superstition perhaps, uh, which... Um, spirituality. Spirituality, the, 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 the sort of beliefs that are neither grounded in, in, in science and maybe even more problematic for the spectrum of disinformation across sea. So plenty to read, we do recommend it. And now off to the interview. Hello everyone, my name is Tetiana Polagruic and this is another special edition Visegrad Insight podcast dedicated to the Western Balkans. It's part of our Western Balkans Futures Initiative that I'm leading and we thank International Visegrad Fund for their support in this. This time I'm talking to Ferenc Nemet from the Budapest-based Institute for Foreign Relations and Trade and we will speak about Hungary's role in the region's accession to the EU. While being at odds with Brussels, Viktor Orban is intensively advocating for the EU enlargement to Western Balkans. Despite a very little process, progress the countries have made on their way to joining the EU, as well as other persistent issues within these countries. His efforts are mainly focused on Serbia, in particular due to its prominent role in the region. My first question to you, Ferenc, is what are the benefits for Hungary and Viktor Orban personally, in his capacity as a prime minister, obviously, in pushing for regions, but primarily Serbia's membership? What are the interests that he pursues? First of all, um, I'm grateful to be here, Tatiana, on behalf of the Institute for Foreign Affairs and Trade. Um, well, it's, it's a complex question for sure. And let me start off by saying that the Hungarian interest towards the Western Balkans didn't start with uh, Prime Minister Viktor Orban. It didn't start 10 years ago. It has developed over the course of decades uh, and it has become even more pro prominent after the regime change in Hungary during the 90s, uh, during the disintegration of Yugoslavia and uh, in, in the quest, in the Hungarian quest of establishing good neighborly relations with uh, the former 
uh, republics of Yugoslavia. What is true that in recent years, uh, the relations between Hungary and Serbia, or to be more precise, between the governments of Hungary and Serbia um, increased. Uh, they developed politically as well as economically uh, significantly. The biggest benefit of the government of Hungary uh, when it comes to the Western Balkans is its economic potential. A lot of Hungarian companies, in, uh, a lot of small and medium-sized companies are now present in the Western Balkans, and uh, especially in Serbia, and within Serbia, especially in the Hungarian-inhabited parts of Vojvodina. And in order to secure um, a prosperous economic presence for those Hungarian investments, the Hungarian government actively supports their uh, economic uh, development and really thinks that in order to have a stable political system in the Western Balkan region, economic stability is one of the utmost importance. So that's why when it comes to the Hungarian uh, foreign policy agenda towards the Western Balkans, this is why we can see a big uh, push for uh, economic investments uh, to the Western Balkans in parallel to uh, threatening the security situation as well. Okay, thank you. Um, but can you perhaps also tell us uh, more on how the good political relations between uh, Viktor Orban and Alexander Vucic translate into benefits for Serbia? Sure. I mean, um, Hungary joined in 2004 and it has been uh, one of the countries in the EU that has ever since been actively uh, engaged in uh, EU enlargement, actively supporting this policy field within um, the EU, within um, the EU institutions. And obviously for uh, President Vucic, it's always good to have uh, a partner in crime in, in the EU, a leader that, that thinks that Serbia should enter uh, despite its flaws when it comes to rule of law, for example. Uh, so it, it's always good to have a leader inside the EU that clearly thinks that Serbia should join the EU as soon as possible, because that would not only be beneficial for Hungary uh, as a member state, but also beneficial for the EU. I see. Um, so obviously both countries have either political or economic gains uh, stemming from Orban's efforts on EU enlargement policy. But at the same time, um, do you think that such approach of Orban is actually helpful for Serbia, but also the whole region in the long run? in the context of their accession to the EU? Obviously, obviously we can um, say a lot of criticism to the approach uh, of Hungary towards the Western Balkans. But one thing is for sure, um, it goes beyond purely economic interest. Uh, it really takes into account a lot of different factors. For example, for Hungary, the protection of the kin minority, that is the Hungarians living in Vojvodina, is one of the utmost importance. Um, securing a stable um, uh, environment is also uh, of the interest of Hungary. Um, the last year, ever since last year, um, the NATO's K4 mission in Kosovo has a Hungarian commander. 
Also, Hungarian troops are present in the EU for Alta mission in Bosnia-Herzegovina. So it really shows that it is not only the interest, the self-interest of Hungary to have uh, the Western Balkans uh, incorporated to the EU and having their security situation improved, but also it's beneficial for the entire region as well. And in addition to the financial assistance that Hungary as a member state provides, um, we provide a lot of um, technical assistance uh, to all the six Western Balkan countries. For example, Bosnia, between Bosnia and Hungary, there, uh, there are twinning programs. Uh, there, there is a cross-border cooperation sponsored by the e uh, EU mechanisms between Hungary and Serbia. And uh, Hungarian diplomats with more than 20 or 30 years of experience uh, are seconded to, um, to ministries responsible for EU affairs and EU integrations in the Western Balkan countries. Thank you very much. And my next question is, what about the EU? Um, do you think uh, Orban's position and actions in the Western Balkans could be damaging for the bloc? Um, it is obvious that Orban places stakes on the illiberal leaders like himself. Um, let's remember the case of Nikola Grevsky of North Macedonia, and we just mentioned Alexander Vucic. And then there is Milorad Dodik in Bosnia, whom Orban recently promised up to uh, 100 million uh, euros of financial support. And some experts even claim that what Viktor Orban is doing in Western Balkans is consistent with Russian policy in the region. Uh, do you think he's undermining the EU this way, or maybe not? I don't think I don't think he has any intentions of uh, undermining the EU's for efforts in the Western Balkans, but rather he really, um, I think he 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 really wants to show, and I think the Hungarian government really wants to showcase the fact that uh, the EU should, in fact, put more emphasis on the integration of the Western Balkans. Because if it's not the EU, then other external powers uh, from the West or from the East would come and take the EU's position and the EU's credibility. Obviously, when it comes to Orban's uh, uh, own politics, uh, we cannot hide the fact that he has uh, ties to, well, very controversial politicians uh, from uh, the Southeastern European uh, political sphere. Um, but one thing that is certain, and uh, I'm glad that you mentioned Gruevsky, is that even when Hungary got involved in, in the scandal surrounding Gruevsky and his escape to Budapest and Budapest granting political asylum to him, this little scandal didn't cause any major backlash or any major feuds between the governments, the respective governments of Hungary and North Macedonia. It didn't cause any bilateral issues between the two countries. Uh, and in fact, their cooperation um, just continued on. So in that sense, um, a lot of criticism towards Hungary coming from the EU is valid. But on the other hand, I, I truly believe that the Western Balkan countries are happy that they, uh, they, they can count on uh, Hungary as well as on the Visegrad force assistance and help, uh, not just for their own development, but, but they can be uh, a good advocate in uh, Brussels to keep the uh, EU enlargement and the Western Balkans up high on the agenda. Ferenc, 
Thank you very much for your insights. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Ferenc Nemet from Institute for Foreign Relations and Trade was my guest today. Thank you to the International Visegrad Fund for their support. Stay tuned for our next podcasts. Thank you.